You are a human being. You want to get a result. If life insurance set up properly can help you get that result better, you should do it. If it's not going to help you get that result better, you shouldn't do it. I don't know what else to say. Like that's It's like black and white. If, if you're better off, do it. If you're not, don't leave a hateful comment on my YouTube channel. <laughs> This is Better Wealth with Caleb Williams. Hutch, welcome to the Better Wealth Show. Thanks, Caleb. Happy to be here. Pleasure to having you on. You are a YouTube legend when it comes to the life insurance industry, which which the bar is really low, by the way. So don't let that go to your head. But (laughs) but you are you are in the legend category. I unfortunately I agree with you. (laughs) Um, And so even though that's not saying much, I wanted to to bring you on. We what was what was really fun is I've been watching some of your videos and definitely highlighted you as one of the people that I want to learn from, wanted to be friends with. Reached out to you. We had a really good interaction, and then. Uh, we're we're in the same mastermind uh, group uh, of top producers, and so I feel very grateful for the people that you've connected me with, the abundance that you have, the the history that you have in our space, and I'm hoping to get your your backstory, the epiphanies that you've had about life insurance, some of the do's and don'ts, and then we can talk about things like whole life versus IUL and mm-hmm. some of the 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 successes that you've seen in the space. So we'll just take it wherever we go. I, a lot of people listening to this are consumers, but then there's also a lot of advisors. Um, that are following you, me, that are going to watch this video and and maybe sure. learn a little bit more deeper than you know who you are behind the camera and why you do the videos you do on YouTube. Sounds good. So, other than uh, being a pickleball champion, <laughs> tell, tell me about your backstory from a standpoint of like you know wh- how did you get into the life insurance space and what was the moment that you were like oh like there might be something here and I need to do go deeper. Sure. Like most people, uh, you know, the the joke, the running joke in the industry is nobody goes to college saying, hey, I want to get in the life insurance industry. I want to sell life insurance someday. Everybody gets in by accident. I'm no different. Uh, I really actually came in from the consumer side. So um, I started investing in the late 90s, part of the tech bubble, made some money, lost some money, saw some crazy volatility, um, had actually had an advisor got churned and that, you know, he moved from one company to another company. And, you know, he had me in all these proprietary mutual funds from one company. It was actually American Express at the time. And then moved me, he went out on his own and then said, you know, you need to do this wrap account, not really realizing I'd already kind of paid the freight on these funds that I had and wrote up and down. And, um, and, and I really just wanted answers, probably like a lot of your listeners. I just really wanted more answers. And so I thought I'd find it getting on the business side of things. And as you well know, the training that we get doesn't necessarily prep us to be better advisors to clients, right? It's like you think of the stuff you'd learn on the tests, whether it be the insurance test, or I don't know if you've done any of the uh, series is series six, seven, 65, 66, any of that stuff. But the, the junk you learn on there just doesn't really help you be a better advisor uh, to clients, nor a better investor, nor a better planner or anything. It's almost just like uh, uh, just learning about it. They, they basically try and trick you with yep. all the oddball regulations there are. Um, and, and what I've experienced is they they teach you how to sell products mm-hmm. without really doing planning or having a process that's going to be beneficial long term. And so it's like, oh, great. These are all this is how the widget works. But yeah. why is the widget beneficial to you? 
Well, yeah, or just even how the widget works. It's just like, here's a widget, here's the parts of a widget, and it's just super basic. So at any rate, um, I, you know, I was taking a lot, I started doing a lot of investing conferences, uh, you know, stock and option stuff, more on that side. And I really thought I wanted to be more of like kind of a hedge fund guru, stock jock, whatever you want to call it. And the problem is when you get in later in life, you're not going to go work for a hedge fund or whatever, unless you, you know, you're going to Ivy League schools, you're, you're probably young enough, but I certainly was enough. So I got in the business and started training for the business in my early thirties and got into my mid thirties. And really they just wanted to know like do do you know a lot of rich people basically yeah. <laughs> and it's it's simply because they realize that 90 some percent of people in this business are going to fail and they're just trying to throw enough poop against the wall the poop being the 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 recruits hoping that some of it sticks and that some of the business that you bring onto the book stays even after you leave. And so I started working for Prudential and, and they basically kind of, they told me what I wanted to hear. Like, yeah, you can get a series seven. Yeah, we do all that stuff. But obviously they're an insurance company, even though they have a broker dealer arm a registered investment advisor, they started teaching me about life insurance and that was V well. Uh, so it was interesting to a degree, but I, I moved to Guardian shortly after because I really wanted to specialize in working with entrepreneurs. And part of the reason why is so my my dad actually passed away prematurely and he was a business owner himself, uh, actually had some life insurance, probably not enough to deal with the complexity of a situation, you know, ended up losing a key person blended family. There was some kind of infighting and not enough, not enough proper estate planning, not enough liquidity because there was a closely held business uh, kind of at the crux of things. And so I saw things go wrong there and it, it, in getting into business, yeah, I wanted to learn how to invest better, but I also wanted to learn about the inner workings of planning. And what I realized is that the best planners really come from the insurance side because there, there's really two poles in the industry. There's there's kind of the, if you're on the stock jock side, the, the Morgan Stanley's, the Merrill Lynch's, the, these types of thing, or, or more on the insurance company side. And it's unfortunate because these two poles are constantly fighting for the same dollars and have been for eons. And so they bash each other when both tools are viable. Yeah. But because the, let's just say the intrinsic rate of return of life insurance isn't as good as say the stock market, even though that comes with all kinds of volatility and everything else, um, I found that insurance people in general are better planners because they can't rely solely on rate of return. Yeah, that's a really good insight. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, when I moved over to Guardian, there was a lot of people that focused on the planning aspect. Uh, planning aspects of it, uh, whether it be with Leap, a uh, lot of people specializing, working with business owners over there. And so I had the benefit of getting on uh, an advanced planning team and being a junior advisor, if you will. So we got some really great direct mentorship uh, over there and got to really understand how the planning clock uh, worked. But not only that, but life insurance as a product, the unique utility it has that really can't be cobbled together with seven other investment products. Like there's some really unique features to life insurance that maybe on its own, if that's all you did, isn't as powerful, but as much as combining it with other assets and, and planning activities. And so, um, and, and that's when I really started my love affair with, with whole life and just using life insurance as an asset class. So how long have you been in the industry? I started in 2007, Okay. But, uh, you know, I, I really started the, um, what do you call it, all the investing training where I wasn't part of the business per se, but I kind of went deep on that side, kind of more the investment side of things. Uh, like I said, really learned some hard lessons in the early 2000s. 
So, and, and it was one of those things where you got into VUL. Did you see any horror stories after 2008? And for those of you listening or watching, VUL stands for Variable Universal Life. And so it's a unique way to invest in the stock market with a life insurance wrapper um, and, and chassis. And, and the pros of VUL is you can get better gains than you can in maybe a typical whole life insurance policy. And those ta- gains can have tax advantages that are tied to life insurance. The The disadvantage could be if they're not designed properly or if the investments don't perform well, not only do you have the insurance costs, but you also have some, what would you say, volatility potential or some other things that don't necessarily turn out well. And so there have been horror stories. Did you experience that? And that is that why you wanted to go to Guardian? Or did you just say, hey, I don't feel that fulfilled investing. I want to do more planning. And Guardian at the time had really good uh, system, i.e. leap that could really walk people through. Yeah. So there's a lot there. So uh, first of all, I moved to Guardian. It was more so for the opportunity. Like I, I didn't feel like the training I was getting was really where really where I wanted to end up. And I was able to kind of look at the top people in the, in the office and go, you know, is, is that who I want to be when I grow up? And, um, they, you know, they were fine people and they were doing well financially and, and they had a certain level of expertise, but I, I really wanted to be a ninja with planning and I, I just didn't feel like the acumen was there. So, so that's why I took the opportunity to go to Guardian. Now I left in October of 2008. Okay. So I wasn't around long enough to see the train wreck, but what I will tell you is I didn't, you know, being young and on the younger side, not compared to you, I guess it was old, but, uh, being in my, in my mid thirties, I didn't have. I didn't have a big flourishing book of business and the people I did know were young families and they didn't have a lot of extra money to put in life insurance. So I didn't have a lot of leads. And so I started working the orphan book of business over there. And so I saw a lot of VOL products. I also saw old whole life products. So this is before your time. You probably don't remember this, but Prudential used to have that commercial, get a piece of the rock. And they'd show the rock of Gibraltar. And what they were talking about is they would actually send you a little chip of the rock of Gibraltar if you bought one of their whole life policies. And so obviously when you bought into a prudential whole life policy, you were part owner of the company. They demutualized like a lot of companies did in the early 2000s. And they were kind of part of that wave, but they were, they were one of the 800 pound gorillas in terms of selling mutual whole life prior to that. So I get to service some old whole life policies. I didn't understand it. They didn't teach me a lot about it. And it was kind of told me like, oh yeah, that's just really boring and slow. And you want this VUL, this is the race car. And I did see, because granted I, I left in October, 2000, I saw like there was one fund, the natural resources fund and commodities were doing great. If you remember, international was doing great. So I did see some people with allocations where they really ran these things up big time uh, in the VUL. So it is possible. I don't want to, I don't want to say it's not possible, uh, but what probably happened after I left and what you were talking about, the kind of the doubling down of volatility, when you have volatility in a VUL and you lose, say, half of your cash value, which a lot of these people did, the ones that were all in on commodity funds probably lost like closer to 70%. If you're losing 50 to 70% of your cash value, it's still, you push the death benefit up along the way. And so the net amount of risk, the, the charges are based on the difference between the cash value and the death benefit. And that's all fine and good when the cash value is pushing up the death benefit, but then all of a sudden when it drops, and you have this big spread, not only did you lose just 50 to 70% of your cash value, but now the charges inside the policy get amplified and you know possibly more than double. Uh, so I did not see that happen I, based on what I saw. And people were not very proactive about manicuring these policies. You know, I was calling them as orphans and they didn't even know that they were doing so well in these funds. Uh, that most likely happened to a lot of them. 
Right. So when you when you went over to Guardian, what was the what was some of the, like the key pillars that you learned that helped you become who you are today? Because I want to talk about um, bankingtruce.com and like the, obviously it's a phenomenal domain name and you, you're able to do a lot of cool things now. But, um, you know, you've probably learned some things from Leave. You probably learned some things from being in that organization that allowed you to have a platform to leave and build a brand and all of that. So what were some of the key learning lessons that you learned? Because I will double down on what you said. Whole life is, is not fun to talk about. And there's other products in the insurance space that are easier to talk about. And yet, I have a ton of respect for people that um, don't shy away from that conversation if it's the right conversation to have. And that's one of the reasons why you were on my list to wanting to have a conversation with, um, because you are one of those people that I think are doing it extremely well in our space. And so with that, what were some of the things that you learned? Um, and then after that, we're, we'll transition to you leaving and starting Banking Truths. Sure. Yeah. So I think what I've learned is, is what you're talking about uh, right there is the fact that it, it's not an either or conversation with whole life. With VUL, it is a single use asset. It's an either or conversation. You have this asset in this wrap, life insurance wrapper doing what it's doing. But if you want to use the funds for other things, you don't borrow against VUL. You actually borrow from it. You pull the money from the investments. So you take a single use dollar out of a single use chassis and you go to put it to work somewhere else. That's what happens. You either withdraw from the cash value or you borrow against it, but they're giving you a fixed rate of return in this vehicle. And with whole life, what I learned is you can have $1 wearing multiple hats. And so I, <laughs> it's interesting. I was in a, a training class, if you will, but there was a guy who was a very savvy leaper. He was just new to the company. So he went, um, he went through the training as well. So he was really into leap and talked to me about, um, talked to me about leap, talked to me about infinite banking, uh, showed me, you know, Pam Yellen's also in her space. Pam Yellen had this, it was weird. It was like this, he printed it out. I want to say it was like this 60 page kind of pitch deck, so to speak, that he found on the internet and kind of read through it, read through the whole thing. And it was like, what if you could buy a car this way or this way or this way? And it didn't really say what it was till the end, but it was, it, I was going like, I was, <laughs> I watched it. I was, I was interested. Who else live your life insurance? Turn me on to live your life insurance. Kim Butler. Kim Butler. I, th I thought she was great and got to meet Kim uh, later on, uh, on during my transition, uh, which was great. So she was definitely one of my early heroes. So I was getting kind of immersed in all this alternative planning that's possible with whole life, but it's all based on around the, the tenant that whole life is not a single use asset. So you don't need to measure it by rate of return. And that's what our consumers, that's what our customers are used to doing. It's like, okay, you're proposing an asset. What's its rate of return? And could I do better? Well, that's answering the wrong question correctly. Yeah, like, like that. yeah. what if you could do whole life and whatever it is you want yeah. to do? And so uh, that's, that's what was hammered into my head very early. And then all of a sudden, it was all about whole life. And nothing else. And so um, Guardian went through, they started coming up with their own software called Living Balance Sheet. Thankfully, that's what got me on uh, that team is being on the younger side and good with technology. You know, like I'm Gen X and I'm probably my yeah. age specifically. I was probably like the youngest kid to grow up with, or not even Nintendo, it was Atari back then, right? And so like people a little bit older than me are kind of a little more boomer, a little more tech, not friendly. And people younger than me are, are a lot more tech savvy than me. But I was, I was, I was thankfully born right in that space. So I adopted this 
uh, I, I, I gravitated to this living balance sheet uh, technology that they were inventing. And that actually got me on the team because I quickly became one of the more proficient people out of, out of the whole organization in terms of navigating the software. And that landed me a spot on this team to, to get the mentorship I really needed to accelerate my learning uh, and my career. And, and for those of you watching or listening, a living balance sheet is a, a financial calculator and model, and it really can uh, do holistic planning where you can take a look at someone like from the protection that they have to what their growth assets are going to be and just kind of like account for everything. And then it goes back to highlighting certain things like whole life insurance. It's like, all right, you literally can do multiple things with this asset and, it's, and it is a software that helps highlight the value of properly designed life insurance. And so anything that you want to add to that, because I think it's, I think it's yeah. really, really important that it's like you were, you learn from a, this is not just a widget that we sell and this is the sales material here. It's like, how do we take a step back and take someone's financial life and model it well? Well, so Living Balance Sheet was proprietary software. So once I decided I, I, I wanted to be independent and I didn't leave right at once, right, right away, uh, because I wanted to research what my options were out there were for software and everything else. But uh, another guy at that company was really, really great. He's, he's, he purposely canceled his subscription to Leap, canceled his subscription to Living Balance Sheet and did a year's worth of production with no software, just like just a yellow pad. And, um, and what he found is he had his biggest year ever. And uh, my GA, uh, his name is Kelly Kidwell uh, at, at, uh, Pacific Advisors, which was Guardian's West Coast agency, had a great saying. He said, any software is really just a colorful cue card for your narrative. Yeah, That's all it is. And thankfully, I was, I was working a case. I was working a case. Somebody actually brought me in and I had everything all queued up in the living balance sheet software and I was ready to go. And we get there and it was web-based and the internet was down. And this is like before hotspots. And so I was forced to just Thankfully, I had a computer where you could draw and I was pretty early with that. Yeah, so yeah. I basically just was drawing all over the computer and I used to bring a monitor and show it. And, and, I, and it was a term conversion case and whatever. I, 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 I was able to communicate the ideas and I closed the term conversion without any software. And that was a big epiphany because when I left, when I finally did leave, you know, I really checked out all the software, Leap, Truth Concepts, Money Tracks. Uh, I know there's some others, but really checked out all the big ones. And I think yep. there's value to all of them. They're, they're, they're great. But again, at the end of the day, they're all just cue cards, colorful yep. cue cards for our narratives, our stories, concepts you're trying to illustrate to clients. Uh, we've, we've built some software on our own. And, and, you know, sometimes we use it, sometimes we don't. <laughs> I think one of the big problems that we see acro across the board, it's in every industry, is people like to hide behind certain sales material and, and other things. And so we call that calculator uh, people to death because it's like you 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 get in, I'll lock the door, and I'm gonna beat you over the head with calculator. Calculator, and and you're gonna be like, I don't know what what weighs up. Um, but the whole concept <laughs> is, I think all those. And by the way, I own every one of every one uh, them, nice. or I've inter interacted with them and learned from concepts that they've had. And I'm a better person because of it. But yeah. I found that we have a very simple process that we take people through and it has mm -hmm. nothing to do with a calculator. It has everything to do with getting clear on where you want to go, auditing what you're currently doing, and then shocker, it's like, what is the most efficient way to get the result that you want? And there yeah. may be a calculator that we bring in. There may be a model that we bring in because it's obviously, it's important to know. It's not, it's not just a feeling, but at the end of the day, I don't want to hide behind a spreadsheet 
because a spreadsheet might be the right product for the wrong type of person. And it goes back to what you said. You might be ask, answering the right question. Wait, what was it? You might be answering the right question to the wrong. Answering the wrong question correctly. I love that. Um, and that's, that's, <laughs> that, that happened. That, that, so was, that was borrowed from a guardian guy, by the way, his name okay. is Donnie. He's a great guy, but he's, he used to talk about, you know, spending so much time trying to answer the wrong question correctly. And that's what calculators do a lot of times because pe people are complex. And, yep. and what, what I realized, the reason why there are these calculators is it goes back to 90 some percent of the industry fails and yep. The, the great ones, the, the really great ones in this, in this industry, I found, you know, they're artists, right? Yeah. And our clients are, 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 are all enigmas. Yes, there are certain patterns, there are certain archetypes, if you will, uh, but everybody's situation is a little bit different and everybody's learning pattern is a little bit different. And so yeah. if you're like, hey, first we do this module, this module, this module, and they ask a question, it's like, you know, we're not on module five yet, we're, we're still on module three. The client may lose listening for you. You have to be able to address their concerns yep. in real time and then be able to get them back on the path, right? And so, um, so at any rate, most agents out there can't do that. And so they kind of need the, the McDonald's model, if you will, yep. where it's like, okay, you go through the drive-through, you order whatever right. year, we give you the stuff in a bag. And so it, it helps them just stay on track right. because they're not intuitive enough to listen to the client and be able to, you know, guide them on a path or they're not nimble enough to be able to get sidetracked by, you know, questions and concerns that are very, very real for the client. And if you can't right. address them in real time um, without staying on task, um, you know, the, your, your process is just going to be chaos. It's, it's interesting. I believe charisma is one of those things that are, are is it like a magnet effect and charisma is a, a, a function of really two things it's a being likable so it's having good listening skills but it's also being competent you know it's like i don't know if you have any charisma if i don't want to learn anything from you but you also don't have charisma if you're the smartest person in the room and right. you just like no people skills and so i think every great producer great leader i think has a combination of both and it's just really interesting that you you shared that i want to transition back to just life insurance in general. There's a lot of videos on the internet that call infinite banking a scam, that call uh, whole life insurance is the worst investment in the world and you'd be better off burying your money. Oh, wow. You know, I haven't heard backyard. that one. Okay. Um, and, you know, <laughs> like big commissions, it's just a scam, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so what is your address to that? Because I, I have a funny feeling uh, a lot of times we're swinging at pitches in the dirt because we're, we're not even addressing the re real issue. Um, but how do you address that? Because you've built a whole brand on, you know, that's foundational on life insurance. So like, how do you address the people that say like all those things, it's a horrible rate of return, it's a horrible investment. You, you alluded to it early on, but what are you addressing when you get asked these things? And what would be like your for the record statement as it relates to answering those concerns? Sure. Well, first of all, uh, part of the reason why I built the, let's just say content engine that I have at bankingtruths.com is I'm not often in the room with the clients when they're having the ahas. I call them my little hutch terminators. They're my videos that are like working 24 seven, right? Trying to kill Sarah Connor and Sarah Connor being this, like all the myths of life insurance. And there's a lot of people that won't ever get there. There's a lot of people that come to the conversation with preconceived notions. I see some of the comments on YouTube or whatever, and they just, they have 
a predetermined agenda. They're not there to learn. They just want to argue whatever. Like you've seen people like that on Facebook. And I, part of the reason why I got off Facebook is just, I got so tired of seeing people argue about stuff and like not even listening. Like you're just, you're just like mad. Uh, but at any rate, um, I, what I would, what I do say to it in the videos and I do, you know, occasionally we get somebody that actually, okay, I think there's enough there. I want to talk to a human being about this. But a lot of times my clients are actually self-selecting. They're they're watching videos and they're deciding if they want to proceed further. But often by the time they're contacting us, they they have realized for themselves that all of that FUD, uh, FUD stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. All the, all the uh, shock jock talk, if you will, the scam and bury your stuff. And then we're like, that's just crazy talk. Uh, they realize that it's a bunch of nonsense. But what I would say to it is this, Caleb is that whole life insurance in large part because of what we talked about before this low barrier to entry in our industry in large part the fault of the insurance industry so there's certain ways to design products where they can be not very advantageous to a client while they're living and it can be a good uh, you know permanent death benefit vehicle but let's face it not a lot of people are waking up every day going you know what I want to make sure when I'm 95, people get a little bit of extra money. So if I could pay 20 times more than the cheapest term product, if only I could find somebody today to sell me that product, I would buy it. Nobody's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, um, a lot of times when a product is sold, it's sold with that type of design and it's sold with the rhetoric not the math that sold that the rhetoric that it's a great thing for you while you're living. And then when people are savvy enough to kind of do the math they get scrutiny from another advisor, they go, this wasn't. And so they have a bad experience because they have a bad experience. It's kind of like a bad review on Yelp or whatever, right? That one star, like when you're scrolling through it and you see that one star, even if the lady was just complaining because the waitress looked at her wrong and, you know, forgot to bring her a lemon for a soda, right? Your whole like your whole view of that restaurant is completely tainted, even though you have like no experience with it whatsoever. And a lot of time that's what's happening in our industry is, um, you know, agents are not selling, designing the prop, the product as optimally as they could. And so it's leaving a bad taste in the mouth and people do what I call people, consumers do what I call polling opinions. So, and, we're all kind of victims to this to a degree. Like we hear something that's kind of paradigm shifting and groundbreaking. And rather than like look into it, we just start polling opinions with people we know. And we kind of start tallying votes. <laughs> and if enough people say this restaurant is good, we're going to go to it. And even though we may not like it or this movie or whatever, enough, enough people say it's bad. We're not even going to give it a chance. Well, the life insurance industry, especially whole life is always going to be outnumbered. Uh, there's very loud voices. I saw your video on with Dave Ramsey. I thought that was a great video. Um, you know, and a lot of the things he was saying was just plain and accurate. A lot of it was completely out of context. A lot of it was irrelevant, but let's face it. He's a big personality. He's, he's, he's a loud guy. He's respected in our realm of finance. So a lot of people hear that and stop right there. Same thing with Susie Orma. Like she's built her whole brand not her whole brand, but like one of her kind of like standard things is, oh my gosh, you're doing whole life insurance. That's a ripoff. You should be uh, doing this. Uh, and, and it's crazy. I, I actually found this at Guardian. There was an ad in Costco magazine from 2008 where somebody asked Susie um, if they should get life insurance for Pension Max. And she said, you know, this is actually one of the situations where it may be a good thing. Oh, and really? so, 
Yeah. And I actually had like every now and then I'll pull it out. Like when, when somebody asks about, you know, Hey, Susie Orman says it's bad. Like, well, you know, Susie likes to pretend it's black and white, but really it's not black and white. Um, and so that's what I would say is it's, it, you know, first of all, make sure that you're examining whether or not you're just pulling opinions and listening to the loudest voices or the biggest number of votes, or if you're looking at facts. And this may be a good, a good place for me to transition. You talked about when, when I, when I left and went on my own, I realized I, I just wanted to kind of, I really wanted an organization that just got to the point because a lot of times uh, with quote unquote financial planners out there, they have this whole process and like meeting two, meeting three, and they do a fact finder and they talk to you about taxes and this and that. And then it's like, then they kind of bait and switch the life insurance, right? The client's like, oh, wait, oh, this is about life insurance. Oh, and, and it was like, I got tired of hiding behind it because I was like, I had this love affair with it. And I realized it is such an awesome unspoken thing. And, and meanwhile, all these advisors were sheepish about it, or they wrapped it like, you know, at the mastermind we were at all, a lot of those guys are doing this crazy complex tax planning. And it's like, okay, we're going to save you money on taxes. There's this, and we're going to do this. And Oh, by the way, here's this life insurance, right? It's kind of like they're sheepishly backing into apologetically backing into life insurance. And I'm like, why? It's amazing. Even if there's no tax benefit, even if you're using your own after-tax dollars, this needs to be on front street. Yeah. I'm with you, man. That that's ultimately, (laughs) that's my story in a nutshell. I'm like, why are people sheepishly hiding behind this? Why are we like fumbling over our own shoes trying to explain this? And it's like, man, this is, this is incredible if people understand it. And I think the, here's the big problem is people in the industry, at least what I've learned when I first got in is you, the goal is to bad mouth the 401k, bad mouth the investment and talk about how this souped up life insurance policy can be better than your investment. And then when I was like, this is an, and I liked how you said, like, it's a, it's an asset with multiple uses. Like, it's just like, it makes sense. And mm-hmm. if people, people can seek first to understand, and this is, it really comes down to this. You are a human being. You want to get a result. If life insurance set up properly can help you get that result better, you should do it. If it's not going to help you get that result better, you shouldn't do it. I don't know what else to say. Like that's, it's like black and white. If, if you're better, if you're better off, do it. If you're not, don't, don't leave a hateful comment on my YouTube channel. <laughs> you know, oh, you're, like, you're not yeah. going to stop that. Some people, people are, a lot of people are just negative and they just, they, yeah, they want to place event. Yeah. It's, but and you're, it's you're making those, content. So you're an easy target. Like you're right. creative and putting yourself out there. So, but it's just, it, it goes down to that. Like from a planning standpoint, no one thing is right for everybody. No. And, and that's one thing that I want to be like, if I've ever been misinterpreted, like I've, I've tried to make myself incredibly clear. Majority of people probably shouldn't do permanent life insurance because majority of America has zero money. So it's like, well, it's not going to, it's not going to solve your marriage, you know, by, by overfunding a whole life insurance policy. That, that being said, I, I've found for the majority of people that are in our strike zone of clients, which for us are like pretty much any entrepreneur, yeah. any real estate investor, any fiscally responsible family, those are the people in our strike zone. It's going to make sense for way more of them than not. Now, occasionally there's right. going to be some health issues. Occasionally right. the age has just gotten too far and there's no other bodies that make sense. They, even if they have liquidity issues, there's ways right. to solve around that. But the reason why I called the company, my company Banking Truce is I realized that 
I realized that people need validation. So even everything you just said there is correct. Like if this can make sense and make it better. But the problem is you're not even going to get to the point where you actually have that chance to prove the case. Right. Because of the polling opinions, you're, you're one voice and all these other voices that, by the way, all those other voices are just parroting what each other have said. Like pretty right. much one guy, you know, got sold a bad policy. One guy listened to Dave Ramsey and everybody else is just parroting those people. Right. 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 But because you're outnumbered, you're not going to get that. You're not gonna get, going to get to that point. So our flagship video, uh, it shows the bank balance sheets. Which, by the way, like I was showing this at Guardian, it was uh, Pirates of Manhattan by Barry Dyke, right? Uh, and he wrote a whole book about it. And you know, it's I, to be honest, I never even read the whole book. I kind of you know read articles by him, and read the cliff notes. I didn't need to read the whole book. Right. What showed up for me out of that, and like the biggest, the biggest aha I got from that, is people are depositing trillions of dollars into banks. Banks are using this multiplicity of money effects. One dollar wearing multiple hats. Now they're doing irresponsibly with fractional reserve lending. They're taking a dollar out of deposits. They're lending it out five, 10 times. They're giving you crumbs for interest and they're exponentially uh, enhancing their returns as an organization. But to be able to look at their balance sheet and say where they parking their tier one capital as much as they can anyway, they have a very big number in life insurance policies on their key employees. And so it, for, for note, like some people say like, oh, but wait, isn't that a mech? Isn't deferred comp? Like this is, this is usually advisors who want to get into over details. The concept is this, don't do what banks say, do what they do. If they're part, what, let's look at why they would park their reserves in this manner. They have every option under the sun. Why do they get as many bodies as they can and max fund the policies on those bodies as much as they can? It's for the same reasons that the, my strike zone, the fiscally responsible uh, families, the entrepreneurs and the real estate investors would. It's because now all of a sudden they can have $1 act as liquid assets and it wouldn't show up on a balance sheet unless it was totally liquid. It has a protection benefit, but that's more or less ancillary. They lower the death benefit. They shrunk wrap, shrink wrap, shrunk wrap. The death benefit as little as they could around the cash. So that the cash was the main story. And they got some other benefits. They got some steady growth. They got some tax sheltering. Yeah. Um, and they got protection on their, their key employees uh, and they were able to use that money for other things. Now, they don't need to take money out. They just need to have it on their balance sheet in order to be able to, to do their lending. But very similarly, like my real estate investor, uh, who has lots of money sitting in cash, wearing one hat, and that bank's making all kinds of money off that deposit. What if we just did that on a small scale for you? And th that's, uh, if you look up a Walmart life insurance lawsuit, You'll see that uh, Walmart actually did the same thing, like because Walmart had the scale, like they were they were big enough to like not only do what banks say but do what they do, and so they liked the idea so much they started getting policies on even on cashiers and janitors, which is not legal, right, and not advised. But it just shows that like something right. good is going on here. So even though you polled 19 people and 19 people said it's bad because they're all parroting the same two opinions, the one person they know that bought it and got a bad policy, and then the thing they heard from either Susie Ormond and Dave Ramsey, they're all parroting the same thing. Yeah. What they're, who they're not asking is, what about that CEO that decided to, to kind of push the envelope at Walmart? Why did he do that? 
right? Because something good's going on here. What about the CFO of Bank America yep. or, or 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 Wells Fargo? We're not getting those opinions because you don't have access to them. Yep, yep. So I'm I'm grateful. Barry's a friend. He actually spoke at our latest workshop, and oh, nice. he's super super well educated and super well read. And I'm just so grateful. Just for that was a big epiphany for me. Like when I read his books, I'm like, wow, like this is uh, unbelievable. The other interesting uh, thing that I want to point out is banks like their real assets are when they loan out money or mm -hmm. like when Wall Street, like their real assets are making investments. And so mm -hmm. they're using life insurance not as a better than investing in, you know, our business. They're using it as just a, a better foundational place to store capital. And that's just another epiphany that I had from a standpoint of like, oh, it's not an or, it's an and. And that was just one of the things that's just like, man, this was just, it kept on going back to this. Um, yeah. I, I want to I transition over to, um, just policy design and and when we talk about whole life versus IUL and we also talk about there's there's a lot of people out there that are doing infinite banking and infinite banking has a very unique um, trigger for some people some people love it some yeah. people don't like it some people I I know some amazing people in that are in, infinite banking practitioners I know some people that um, are practitioners that might not be teaching it right and you know all these things and so how do you explain from a standpoint of Whole life versus IUL, because this is a very hot topic right now. And then uh -huh. and then let's switch over to infinite banking. Anything that comes to mind when you hear the word infinite banking and anything that you would um, want to highlight or caution as it relates to that as that path. So let's start with that one. Cause I, I think I think we can transition to the IUL after that. Cause usually if you say IUL with infinite bankers, they just they have a short circuit, right? So in, infinite banking was popularized by Nelson Nash in his book, uh, Becoming Your Own Banker, The Infinite Banking Concept. Awesome book. Fully credit Nelson for bringing it to light. Um, it's hard to say like he invented it because, you know, you can look back to, you know, Walt Disney, uh, Ray Kroc, J.C. Penney, and they were essentially doing the same thing where they were borrowing against their life insurance to start, grow, or save that, save their business. I wrote an article about that. It's on my site somewhere. I think it's bankingtruths.com slash Walt. Great story if you're an entrepreneur. Um, but the, it's been going on for a long time, and the arbitrage has been there, but I fully credit Nelson for getting it out there. Um, the, what I What I have an issue with now is we get people that almost revere it, almost like it's... Um, like it's scripture, right? And the fact of the matter is, is it, first of all, the products are, I think, four generations old now, three, like we've gone through three separate mortality revamps. Um, and the whole life products, even though they're still designed similarly, the numbers aren't going to be the same. And the, the other thing I have an issue with is Nelson leaves this uh, taste uh, in the book that you have to be borrowing against the policy and to kind of get off the banking system. And it's, it's very rhetoric based. Like if you, if you look at the book, you kind of don't get to like chapter six or seven before you start to see some numbers. Like there's a lot of rhetoric in there. Um, and so we have a hard time getting clients off of, off of that kind of old stance to the most modern day innovations. And like a bank that, that we just talked about, you said like a bank has an asset and their real asset is they're doing all these other things. For us, we actually use the policy as a backstop and we may use the policy loans and there may be a reason to use a policy loan, but oftentimes you can get better loans from banks. And so 
our clients often have a disconnect. Like, wait a second, when I read this stuff by Nelson, I'm supposed to be getting away from banks. Well, you are to some degree because banks are terrible savings vehicles. Like they, they offer terrible, terrible savings products, but they're amazing for lending, yeah. right? Like Bob Hope says, a bank is a place that will loan you money if you can prove you don't need it. True, right? But yeah. if you can prove you don't need it, you can get a much better rate from a bank often than a policy loan. Yeah. So like I'm about to make a video about, uh, about buying cars because that's usually the most common example. Well, guess what? The last, I'm going to call it five or six times I've gone to buy a car. I'm ready to just stroke a check and pay cash by borrowing against my life insurance. Uh, but oftentimes they're showing me better rates, right? And so like last, I think I got a BMW hybrid last time and they offered me 1.9%. It's like, so wait a second, yep. I can just write a check against my life insurance, lose 60 some thousand dollars of capacity. Yeah. Or I can give you a thousand a month and float it at 1.9 while my policy is earning 405. I'll take that option. Thanks. Yeah. But if you read the Nelson Nash book, all of a sudden it's like, I'm doing it wrong. Right. But if you do the math, if you do the math, I'm going to end up with way more, way more wealth by doing that and flipping cars in that manner. Um, so I think that's that's one of the issues I have with it. Uh, I, I had the pleasure of talking to Nelson like when I was early on in the business. I called him because I wanted to join his company. And he was said, like, I don't have a company to join. You can buy some books. Like I have a package. I'll do some uh, meetings for your clients. We had a really good conversation. He told me a story I thought was really cool. Like basically he was in the hospital. He was having heart issues. And then he kind of had this epiphany and totally revamped his career. And, you know, like I said, I, I have a lot of respect for him, like starting this whole phenomenon. But you just have to take the book with a grain of salt. It's almost like, um, I don't know the right way to say this. It's like, like science has adapted and evolved over time. Right. right. We might we might revere those early Newtonian texts and and there, there's a place in history and, and reverence and honor there. But we're not going to necessarily fall it to the T, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that was super well stated. Uh, I have a ton of gratitude for Nelson and the he, he being a pioneer, taking a lot of arrows. Um, I think one of the key concepts is volume. You the goal is you want to save as much money. And that's when it goes back to using other banks or third-party lenders and all that. It goes back to mathematically, I could actually save more money into life insurance. Like, yep. And the other thing, I'm so grateful that you've mentioned this, is you're, not only could you get a cheaper rate in a lot of cases if you're taking a car loan, but even if, now hear me out here, even mm -hmm. if it was a percent higher, mm -hmm. I would take the car loan because I value capacity, capacity yeah. greater than that 1% extra. Absolutely. And so I, I have clients on both sides of the, of the spectrum and I don't push them one way or the other. Right. So I'll let them know, like, I'm, I'm the same as you, Caleb, like yeah. I'm, I'm there too. In trading, it's called optionality, like paying that extra percent on a, like a nominal amount per year is worth the optionality of keeping my, my powder dry yeah. so that if an opportunity comes or an emergency comes, I have all this extra optionality I have some clients, the more entrepreneurial ones, the real estate investors get that. The more fiscally responsible families, right. they're not that into it. And, and they're less likely to need that optionality. Exactly. Yeah. The optionality might just be not utilized or exercised. And then that there's an opportunity cost there. And so, yeah. So um, they really, take max efficiency. Yeah. yeah. Really, really appreciate you breaking that down. I, that, that's going to be extremely helpful for my audience and people watching this. Um, mm -hmm. Now let's talk about IUL. Um, okay. we, in our mastermind that we're in part of, 
there's some of the greatest legends in that space. Um, I can kind of guess what you're going to say, and I'll, I'll just be assumptive oh, and say that. Tell me. Let's hear know, it. You know, you're, you're, you have nothing wrong with an IUL at face okay. value. When we talk about giving your dollar more than one job, when we talk about it being an and asset, when we talk about you're not selling life insurance as an investment, yeah. if, if, if you're going to have a foundational asset, whole life, in your humble opinion, is probably way better for what you're trying to use it for than an IUL that might outperform whole life long term, but is more of a one dimensional asset versus it wouldn't you wouldn't feel as comfortable talking about all the other benefits because there are some uncertainties that could happen. But long term, IUL is not a scam. It's it's still gonna perform quite well. It's just meant for retirement income. And, okay, and so- a lot of our clients might not be for that. So that's that would be my assumption if I just yeah. I, I, I was going, like the first 60%, I was like, you nailed it. And then you kind of lost me there. So, right. I, I, you, so try this on for size. And again, like when clients come in with a certain, just like what we talked about, I don't make them wrong. I just understand where they're coming from. I help them play the tape out. If they don't mm-hmm. need that optionality, I say do the max efficiency. But if I see that they do need optionality, I might push them past their comfort zone and say, hey, you know what? Maybe you should pay that extra percent, even though it's not mathematically efficient for that extra optionality. So I'm going to take the same approach with you now. And, and who knows, maybe, maybe it'll shift your thinking. Maybe it won't. Um, I will be really transparent with you in that when I left, when I left guardian die hard whole life, we started going out and finding different companies. We don't, we don't need to get into a bunch of carrier talk right now, but really kind of shopped around all the carriers and we were die hard whole life. I had to lose a case. Um, I lost, a couple, but I had to lose a case to IUL for me to really take a deep dive into it. And when I took a deep dive into it, I realized that just like any financial product, like it's not good or bad, it's just a financial product. And at the time, cap rates were so much higher. And I firmly believe that IUL was the best way to go for infinite banking. And so I went through a little phase there where I still, I would not push clients one way or another, but I was leaning that way. Um, And then, you know, kind of what's old is new again, (laughs) here I'm back to whole life. And it really had to do with the interest rates. But I remember early on leaving and, and not mentioning any names, but going to a software conference and, you know, when you're in the infinite banking space, and I think you wanted to talk a little bit about this, uh, you know, IUL, if you just mention IUL, like you pretty much are like a Satan worshiper, right? And so like, you can't even say it, but one of the speakers was up there saying some things about IUL and I was just newly tinkering with it, uh, just being kind of the scientist I am uh, saying like, you know, on the illustration software, you can't even show what happens if you have 0% years. I'm like, that's not true. Like I've actually modeled that and see, I was able to stress test it to see. And, and I didn't embarrass him. I actually went up after the fact and I just, Hey, I want you to know, um, I've been tinkering with it. And some of the things you're saying is not true. So I just, you know, I figured you want to be accurate. And I, and I, I have a feeling you haven't explored it as deeply as I have, because you, you know, you have this wall up against it. Uh, but you know, just, just be careful. Here's where I'm at with IUL right now. So IUL is not out of the woods and it's really for a very scientific reason. So any insurance policy, if funded properly, meaning you, you max fund in the least amount of death benefit, assuming it's for cash and not for death benefit, 
is probably going to be okay. You're absolutely right in that there's more uncertainty in the fee structure of IUL, but most good objective unbiased producers will tell you that if you max fund an IUL up to the seven pay tests in the early years, first four to seven years, you're probably going to be all right. Now, you won't have the certainty you have right. with whole life, but I have some clients that are willing to give up that certainty for the potential for that greater return, potential for a greater return. What I'm concerned about as a scientist with IUL now is not only have interest rates come down, which have lowered the option budgets for IUL and therefore brought caps down to bring it down to consumer terms, brought caps down. That's not the only concern. The reasons why caps went down is not just the, the interest rate, which determines the carrier's options budget, the budget to buy options to support a cap, but it's also volatility. If you look at options pricing, like a Black-Scholes model, yep. interest rates and how much money you have to spend on, on options is one factor. But as the stock market becomes more volatile, those options become more expensive. And so there's this extra variable that whole life doesn't have that is a hurdle, if you will, to IUL. But some of the things that you said that, that I would just I would I would ask you to look back on, it can be a multi-use asset. And unlike VUL, right? Unlike VUL, you can borrow up to call it 90 some percent of an IUL product. It is still a fixed insurance product. So people do premium finance. You can use a policy loan. Pretty soon there's a line of credit. Like I'm, I, I enjoy using line of credits against the whole life. Pretty soon there's going to be a turnkey line of credit for IUL. So it can work. Right. There is much more uncertainty to it, and it's really, really important to stress test it. Yeah. Because my issue with IUL and the way it's being sold is it's always showing a very optimistic situation. And part of that is the fault of the industry with this AG49 stuff, which I've I've written a couple articles and, and been published, you know, basically saying that that they're doing the consumer a disservice right. uh, by they're they're limiting how IULs are illustrated, right. but they should be showing historical like volatility, ups and downs. And we used to be able to show that. And in fact, when we did, I would only show that. Uh, but we can't anymore because it exceeds kind of this. Pre predetermined AG 49 rate in certain years, but it's unfortunate. I will say it can work. I follow my dollar. And what I can tell you is I haven't personally bought an IUL since 2018. And I have added more whole life. <laughs> my business yeah. partner has not taken on any new IULs. He has added more whole life. And so as our income goes up, as our asset base goes up, and we can't fill, we can't fill that, uh, we, we can't fill our cash to th- in our policies. We just add on more policies. And I've been reluctant to do so with IUL in this environment. I also want to be very clear. I think what you articulated with the IUL is very, very spot on. And we, we have sold IUL. And we're, it was one of those things where I came from the camp, like you were saying, where it's like, if you mentioned it, you're, uh, you're going to yeah. be kicked out to the, to the point where it's like, okay, like, um, really trying to be ob- objective. And, um, yeah. I, I've, I've said things in the past that I like very much regret. Um, mm-hmm. but it was just one of those things from, it was just like, that was like the lens that I was viewing it through. And so I, I do appreciate you articulating that. And, um, there are people out there that will remain nameless that are getting like really creative with IUL and yeah. I, I'm, I think they're going to hurt the industry across yeah. the board because they're like, 
they're saying things that I can almost guarantee you, which is a dirty word in our space. Not, it's not going to happen. Just with you look at caps and you just look at. Oh light. yeah, no, it's it, it's sad. We come across the same stuff where they, you know, like these really razor thin premium finance model where everything yeah. has to work out per- perfectly or it's going to blow up. No, yeah. so th- w- I'll tell you when we do when we do feel comfortable using IEL, we usually recommend that people get a, a solid base of whole life. Because no matter what, that whole life can't go against it. And going back to $1 wearing multiple hats, if they want exposure to IUL, why not funnel it through a base of whole life first? Right. Is this not going to go against them? And we we recommend not taking all of the equity to do it, but again, almost like an enhancer, almost like an option. Because IUL is really, you're investing in options, right? So almost like an option where the, like your max risk when you're buying an option is the cost of an option. Why not pick an amount that you're comfortable with to borrow against your whole life if you need to, to layer on a little bolt-on of IUL for enhanced performance. But even when we do that, we like to, again, put in the maximum amount of cash and the least amount of death benefit and model it such a way that if things don't work out because you know, we're, we're not out of the woods as an economy. Who knows what's going to happen to these interest, these interest rates? Like people think both like they could go sky high or we can be like Japan and be in negative interest rates, right? It, no matter what happens, where you're going to be okay with whole life, always knowing that you can get at 95% of your cash value to get some inflation protection yep. while still keeping your foothold in whole life. So I think that should be the base. And if you want some exposure to IUL, sure, do it as a bolt-on after and structure the IUL in a way to where we like to see kind of cash value break even somewhere between year four, year seven, like even ultimately stress tested. Or even if you get out year five and you've lost whatever, like five or 10% of your money. Have you ever lost five or 10% in the stock market? Hell yeah. You lost 30% in like three weeks in right. March of 2020. Right. 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 And it always, it, 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 it cracks me up. It doesn't crack me up, but it, but it, it dumbfounds me that people with the stock market, and this just shows what great marketers they are, like the stock jocks in the stock market. Like people are just like, it reminds me almost like a, um, almost like a battered wife of an alcoholic or something. Right. It's like, he didn't mean it. He won't do it again. He's going to be better this time. Right. And it's just like, and then we go and we have these 10 years or 12 years and then all of a sudden, boom, right. And people yeah. just get wrecked. Right. And, and, but, and then they're very skittish about the stock market. They usually miss a lot of the run up, but then they're trying to FOMO in on the back end and they go back in with this kind of blind optimism again. Well, and, and the other, the other irony is they don't really have a good income strategy. So they're, they're all emotional about volatility, but they don't even know how they're going to translate their portfolio into income which is the ultimate irony. Just, I just want to ultimately highlight what you just stated, that properly structuring a policy is really, really, really important. You could take, and we both work with some remarkable companies, but you could take a lesser company and optimize this, that, that contract versus mm-hmm. you take the company that everyone loves or the, the top company and do a very poorly designed, and it's, it's, it's going to be night and day. So the cool thing is, work with solid companies, properly design the policies, and both, whether it's IUO or whole life, you're going to be so much better off than doing the typical traditional approach where it's like, that's what gives the industry a bad rap in, in you know, 
when you say the traditional approach, what, what do you mean by that? Just like a fully base contract or, oh, yeah. yeah, you know, that's maybe, maybe a better word is the typical approach. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, people don't know what they don't know. I mean, thankfully, um, you know, there's the internet and even then, you know, people don't know what they don't know. They're kind of pulling opinions on the internet and there's people like you, right. there's people like me on there, uh, that are trying to do right by people, but they find right. what they find. And usually they're, they're oftentimes picking based on personality, uh, yeah. or just, Hey, this, this sounds really good. The charisma factor that you talked about. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I think the real benefit to having insurance in your portfolio, uh, from a retirement standpoint, cause you brought up retirement. A lot of times we're talking to clients because they have way more pre-retirement goals than post-retirement. But one of the great scenes I heard at Guardian, it doesn't matter what you like best about this life insurance, you get them all, you get all the benefits. Uh, so while you're accumulating, you know, having it as your multi-use asset, uh, using it as your own bank, having it compound for you while you're using the money for other things via, you know, arbitrage loans that can help you get an extra bite of the apple. Cause let's face it, we can only save so much, especially with these rising commodity prices. Now people are getting squeezed. So to, to, the fact of being able to have $1 wearing multiple hats is a big deal. And even being able to funnel some of the money that you would be spending for expenses, but funnel it through the policy first, knowing that, you know, ultimately you're going to be paying down or servicing these loans at the very least, getting compounding uh, on a, a positive balance while at least flattening the simple interest on a, a flat or decreasing balance can be a very powerful tool. Now, come retirement. You know, people say, I don't need life insurance in retirement. Well, maybe you do, maybe you don't. It ain't really about the need. And most of my clients, when they buy things, it's not really needs-based anyway. They're buying things because they want it. One of the things you're going to want, and one of the things I'm going to want, is we're going to want a buffer against that market volatility. And we're going to want a buffer against future taxes. So you mentioned income. Income is really challenging these days because yields are so low. And unfortunately, we're in a world that's drowning in debt and starved for yield. And if you look at yield in general, it almost always comes from debt, right? Whether you're buying a bond, you're giving money to a bank, even like a dividend on a blue chip stock, you look at the balance sheet, there's some debt on there. Real estate, whether you're doing private money lending or you have rental real estate, there's probably debt on there, Right. We're in a world that's drowning in debt and starving for yield. So income is hard to come by. So people are gambling with their retirement. And so, again, I have stocks. I'm not saying get into stocks, but their mentality is to this kind of buy high, sell low, cash in assets here, right? That, that's their income. That's what they're hoping for. And so you can do that better if you have a policy because stocks are like that drunken sailor, right? You didn't mean it, Right. They're going to be manic. They're going to be depressive, right? And so when they are depressive, you, you want to leave them alone, right? You don't, you, you, you don't want, if you start peeling from that asset, when, when your stocks or mutual funds are down, you're going to cash in way more shares than if you just leave them alone. Well, guess what? If you have a policy, if you have a policy, you actually can leave them alone, right? If you have a big enough policy. Because I know our clients are usually kind of minimalist or like, oh, I'll try it for this much. But really, the thing that I try and show them is if you really want this to be a retirement buffer, you're going to have to fade three years of down markets, yep. two, three years. And what about taxes, right? Like taxes, 
uh, we might have four or eight year regimes where it does not make sense to pull from your stocks of 401k or very little. <laughs> You're going to need a pretty big buffer. And so it's all about, you know, bring, tying it back to the infinite banking concept. It's all about building a big enough bank now that gives yeah. you capacity now, but that also so you end up with a big enough buffer asset to fade kind of any storm. We don't know what the market's going to do, but markets go up and markets go down and retirement's getting longer for us. So if you're retiring for 25, 30 years, you might go through a couple cycles of that. Um, It's interesting. We talk about the value of capacity and it goes back to what's the value of having options for the future. (laughs) You know, it's like it's you have more options. Last I checked, having a properly structured life insurance foundation as a foundation, it just gives you more options. If you're in love with with certain assets, you can borrow against your life insurance and fund like go buy more of those. And at the same time, it could be a buffer. And by the way, I. I, I would be sad if I didn't say this. You should write a children's book when it comes to like life insurance <laughs> and investing because you have some of the best analogies. Like I can just see like the drunken sailor. You know, that's probably not great for a children's <laughs> book. In fact, I, I I brought that up in one of my videos, and one of my guys kind of scolded me and said it, it rubbed me the wrong way. I, you know, sometimes I I have to put my foot in my mouth, but it, it was like the best thing I could think of because I see people like basically just getting battered. Yeah, and like. I remember them talking to me and how like skittish they were. And then when they had FOMO, they just like wanted to go all yeah. in. It's like, wait, did you just not remember what you right. just went through? But right. it's it's their only option, which is which is unfortunate. And I like what you said about the, you know, the options again. I think that's maybe that's the theme of this podcast is this optionality. The reason why people don't do a big enough policy to fade those eroding factors in retirement, mark losses and taxes is usually they feel like the life insurance is neither or conversation now. Like if I put my money into life insurance now, I can't do X. And I think that's what it probably is our hardest. That's our biggest challenge in working with clients is usually they, they realize they want to do it to some degree. It's kind of human nature to say like, okay, okay, I'll do a little bit of that. Like, uh, I, I like crypto right now is a thing with people. And I notice people like, okay, I'll, I'll do a little bit. I'll do a thousand bucks. I'll do 2000 bucks. Right. They just kind of try it. If I try it, I like it. I'll do some more. Well, obviously you're losing compounding. You're getting older, probably not going to get more healthy. You're probably going to get less healthy. And so we spend a lot of time and we don't pressure people. We don't push people, but we spend a lot of time on the onset, uh, while we're unwriting to say, listen, let's at least apply for the max you can get. We're not going to make you get any more than you want, but you want to do this much because this is what you're comfortable with. Let us just show you if we do the architecture, like you talked about the odd of their situation, you wish you really have the capacity for not the X that you think, but maybe it's two X or three X. Let us just model what that looks like between your existing assets, reallocating them, cash flow architecture, and let's show you what that could look like. And if you need the money, it's right there in the policy. If you need it, it's right there. But at least by doing so, you give yourself a chance to have that big buffer asset in retirement that I know you're going to want. I, I literally could talk to you all day. There's there's so much more to cover. Um, before we get into the the final question, I, I want you to okay. plug your website and your blog and your YouTube channel. But um, before we even get into my final question, anything else that you want to say from a standpoint of epiphanies or some mistakes that you've seen? Um, this is kind of your final like platform to say anything else you want to say. We, we covered a lot. And um, I think... Yeah, I, I, I think we, I think we covered, I'll, I'll, I'll share one epiphany. I mean, we talked about some of the mistakes in the industry. We talked about, we did, we talked about epiphany, uh, just piggybacking off what I just talked about. I, I kind of came up with this on the fly with one client. Uh, I call it the financial teddy bear. Uh, 
And everybody's got a certain financial teddy bear, right? Like it's, it's, it's their 50,000 in cash, their 20,000 in cash, their 100,000 in cash. When I came up with it, these clients actually had 500,000 in cash. That was their financial teddy bear. And it's kind of like the whoopee or whatever, right? It's like Mr. Mom, like, give me the whoopee. Like, no, no, right? And they, everybody has this financial teddy bear and kept at the bank. It's this raggedy old teddy bear. Again, it's just not doing much. And when you talk to them about using whole life, as a better bank, not doing what banks say, do what they do. It's almost like one of those brand new teddy bears. Like I took the baseball and I knocked down all the jugs and I get you a bright, shiny teddy bear. This thing's brand new. It does way more, wears multiple hats, but people aren't comfortable with it. And they're just not ready to let go of that financial teddy bear. That's probably the hardest thing. And that we work with client. And it's really like, it's a combination of stories, math, and modeling that gets them to see like, okay, this is not how I'm used to doing things, but I see how I'm better off like giving away this financial teddy bear and and trying this new one. Cause it's actually as good, but stronger than what they currently have. So telling you, man, I'm seeing the children's book. <laughs> Your financial part, teddy bear. <laughs> we'll leave out the drunken sailor financial teddy bear. Yes. <laughs> I, I already see the different chapters. I, I, I want to be a part of it. I'm not a good artist, but I, I would love to at least apply for some of the drawing, um, uh, you know, positions. I'm, o- uh, I'm open to it. I like, I only have so much capacity. Uh, this has been fun. Uh, I know you're up to big things in a similar space. So yeah, let me know. Let's, let's, let's make the kids book. <laughs> oh, see, before, before we plug all your stuff, um, the question I love asking everyone that comes on my show is nothing to do with life insurance, but it could have everything to do with life insurance. And it, and it comes down to a legacy question. If yeah. this is your last day on earth and you can't give them any YouTube video or blog that you've written or book, you just have one last conversation you have with the people that you love the most. What are you going to make sure to highlight in that conversation with your loved ones? Come on, man. Kick me in the gut. Gosh. Well, I hope I get another day, but I think what I would tell them is I would really encourage them to make sure that they, they are pursuing what they want to do in life. And so easily, it, so easily all of us get caught up in other people's agenda. Uh, I heard the other day, like even your inbox is really just a list of other people's agenda for you. Um, and it's so easy to get caught up with these pseudo obligations that we make for ourselves. And I would encourage the people I love and you listeners to do what it takes. And it may not happen all at once, but to construct your life in a way to make sure that you're spending most of your time doing the things that you love, that light you up. And I'm not just talking about recreation, but like even work. Like I, I do love what I do. Uh, and I have structured my business in a way where I get to focus on doing the things that I love to do in that smaller subset. Uh, because if, if you're not enjoying it, it's, it's not going to be fun. It's probably not going to be good for your health. You're not going to be as impactful to other people. Uh, and, and you know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to make the impact that you want, uh, that is possible that if you're like in your happy place doing what you love to do. I, I appreciate that. And I, I think, uh, for those of you that know you, uh, know that you embody everything that you shared from the standpoint of you are truly abundant I got to witness you firsthand, encourage people, love on your wife and all these things that are just like really, really cool to see. Um, and so thank you for being such a great example of that and, and for truly um, 
living out those core values through your business, through your content, all the things that you're doing. So obviously, um, bankingtruths.com is your website. You have some incredible blogs. You have um, your YouTube channel, which I would recommend everyone go and subscribe to um, because you have some phenomenal content around life insurance. Is there anything else that you want to plug? Um, I, I know if, if people want to pre-order the book, the children's book. Uh, the children's book. I'll Just leave. I'll leave. Shoot you me an email. I'll put you yeah. on the waiting list. Um, but what, <laughs> that sounds great. What uh, uh, other things do you want to plug? Is there any a place that you think that you really would add a ton of value to the people watching this? Yeah. So it's not here yet, and I know this is one of the things that you and I were going to powwow on together, probably before the children's book. Um, so you've been doing podcasting for a long time, and what I realize is I actually love to talk, and generally, for the most part, people like to hear me talk. And uh, my wife makes fun of me and she says, oh, wow, you got to talk about things and got people to listen to you talk about things. Uh, just just because she realized I love to do it and that, and generally I'm, I'm adding value when I do it. So I am going to start a podcast. Uh, we got the domain, but we haven't set it up yet. It's going to be Hutch Money Minutes. It's not going to be limited to life insurance. Uh, I purposely, so I actually had an RIA business uh, and I sold uh, my RIA to my employees, dropped my Series 65 license, uh, really it's so ironic so that I could speak freely about all things financial. It's, it's crazy. If you're licensed, you have to have all these rules and regulations, disclosures. If you're not licensed, you can say whatever you want. Like, not that I would be saying things that are unethical or that would hurt people. Uh, but I just have a lot more freedom and flexibility to, uh, not provide financial advice, but financial education. And I realize that's, that's really where I shine. Like, yes, I'm a ninja in life insurance, uh, but it's all part of, uh, let's just say an overarching money strategy. So Hutch Money Minutes is a podcast coming soon to, I don't even know where, that's why I got to talk to you, Caleb, uh, to figure out how to do some podcasting. And I know you wanted to do more with video and we were going to powwow and see how we can make each other better. And, and you know what? I just, I think it's so cool that you reach out to me because talk about, you know, thinking in abundance, like that takes balls. So I respect you for that. Reaching out to me, like technically we're competitors, but at the same time, we both realize that there is so much abundance out there uh, in the industry and so much need. And, and really, we don't even have the capacity, talk about capacity to help all the people that need help. Uh, so I know you're up to some really cool things too. And I am thankful that you asked me to do this and, and, and thankful that you, had the balls to reach out and say, Hey, let's talk, let's do things, let's collaborate. And I hope we can continue the conversation. Well, I uh, would love to see your podcast take off and we will do everything we can to help, help you with that. Um, because I I'm with you. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable, especially even when you go onto YouTube and say like, wow, like 13,000 watch hours in this period of time. Like it's so insane. It's so insane. It's like, you mean I get to chat about something that I genuinely love talking to you right now and thousands of people or thousands of watch minutes are going to be happening on this and maybe yeah. one person will have an epiphany that will change yeah. the way that they live their life. Like we live in, in the greatest time to be alive. And so I, I appreciate uh, you sharing this time with me and I, I will subscribe, I will review. And uh, whenever, whenever it goes live, we'll make sure to have that be the first link so that you can go over and um, show, show Hutch some, some support. So uh, anyways, man, I appreciate you. I know that this is one of, of many conversations to come and uh, I look forward to seeing what the future holds. Cool. Thanks a lot, Caleb. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.